We have actual baseball news to report, and we'll also roll on with our review of the Tout Wars Mixed Auction. Like death and taxes, Dodgers get a Dodger. I have not had uh, three go-throughs yet. It works great in a fantasy league. I'm just glad I am not at the dentist. Fantasy Baseball in 15 on The Athletic. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball in 15 for Wednesday, March 18th. I'm Al Melchior, and I'm here with Derek Van Riper and DBR. Let's get right to the news because we do have some actual player news that could have an impact uh, as we plan for uh, fantasy drafts that are still coming up. Justin Verlander had surgery on his right groin on Tuesday. He's expected to be out for about six weeks. I did see one report that suggested it could be maybe shortly less uh, or a little bit less than that. But this is on top of the lat strain that he already sustained during uh, spring training. So I'm wondering where you're valuing him now. Is he back in with the big four? Did he never leave? (laughs) Was he in and and is he back out again now? Where do you have him valued at this point? Looking back at at the Tout Wars auctions this weekend, it kind of felt like he was being treated like a top four pitcher who was likely to miss just a little bit of time because we knew he had that lat strain he was already dealing with. A four- to six-week injury right now, I mean, there's probably enough time for him to heal before we're ready for games again, so I don't think we're too worried about it from a lost games or lost innings standpoint, but it's strange that he's got two completely different injuries. I mean, the right groin versus the the lat strain on his pitching arm. Uh, I think he kind of falls to the back of the top ten for me. I think Clayton Kershaw versus Justin Verlander is now something I would think a little bit about as kind of a toss-up for the upcoming season. I think with Kershaw not having any injuries right now and Verlander working back from two, that's probably enough to sway me to take Kershaw if I'm choosing just between those two options. But guys like Jack Flaherty, Shane Bieber, Mike Clevenger, uh, Walker Bueller, they're all going to go ahead of Justin Verlander. They're all going to be worth more to me than Justin Verlander if I have auctions coming up. Uh, in the next few weeks, I, I think just because you you don't want to step into a situation where you have a 37 year old working back from two injuries, and I think with the the lat strain, sure, it's a mild lat strain. I think that's the injury I'm actually more concerned about at this point. Yeah, and I mean, and the thing is, uh, you know, whether that's the case or not, you, you do have these two injuries here. And uh, earlier on Tuesday, before uh, this report came out, I actually was writing up a Tout Wars recap for uh, Rotographs. And, uh, you know, I was talking about the, the pitching landscape. And so I just went ahead and said the big four, uh, you know, confident that now with the delay that Verlander was going to be back, uh, you know, even with the lat strain. But yeah, now I, with, I'm with you here that with this uh, latest uh, injury issue with him and surgery that uh, I'd say probably no better than around number 10 in the, in the starting pitcher ranking. So uh, I think we've got a little bit of consensus there. We have another uh, injury update as well, and this one's a pretty good one. Uh, Willie Calhoun, of course, he got hit in the face with a pitch, uh, had to have a steel plate inserted into his jaw, and he says he thinks he can be ready for the start of the season, whatever that is, understanding that that's probably not going to be any earlier than late May and in all likelihood probably beyond that. So... Nothing really definitive there, but at least good to get something of a, a positive report on Willie Calhoun. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty uh, about the magnitude 
of his injury, right? Because there were facial fractures. Uh, there was a concussion as well. Uh, it's just good to hear something positive as it pertains to him because the news could have ab- absolutely been a lot worse uh, with regard to his expected timetable. So yeah, it sounds like he's picking up some cardio work in the near future um, and time will be on his side as far as healing up as well. Yeah, and of course, this is one that we'll have to keep tabs on, not only because this is you know, a self-reported timetable, which we always have to take with a, maybe a grain of salt, but also that he hasn't, in fact, been tested for a concussion yet. He doesn't have symptoms, but that is another hurdle that Calhoun is going to have to clear, and uh, we're several weeks away, so that's one that we'll, we'll keep tabs on. We also have a report that there is a second Yankee minor leaguer who has tested positive for COVID-19. Uh, and maybe a slightly more optimistic report that relates to the pandemic, uh, the Kia Tigers of the KBO, that team may resume workouts soon. Now, I know this obviously has no relation to Major League Baseball, but um, you know, depending on how things progress here in North America, you know, I think you know that'd probably be the best case scenario for things to be moving along at, at such a pace and 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 the spread. Uh, not not uh, you know continuing to grow it at the current rate that uh, you know maybe there's some reason for some optimism to get baseball back uh, sooner than we may think but you know more than anything is this just looking at what's going on uh, in Korea and um, you know looking for some positive sign yeah that's kind of how I see it too right I mean as a nation Korea's further along uh, in their progression through the pandemic than we are here in the states so seeing how things are playing out there and and seeing uh, a much worse situation in Italy, how things are playing out there. I think it just sort of gives us some some insight into what the future might look like based on a lot of things that are out of maybe everyone's individual control and sort of on uh, a group effort sort of level at this point. But uh, it's definitely an encouraging thing to to see things progressing back towards normal in Korea. Yeah, absolutely. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs, sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc, and they help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day. And Hydrant is backed by research. The formula was developed by Oxford scientists to provide perfectly balanced, efficient hydration. There's no synthetic colors or artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan, and you can choose between three different flavors or a variety pack. Hydrant starts at just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply. You can save even more with a monthly subscription. And for 25% off of your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com and enter the promo code BASEBALL at checkout. That's drinkhydrant.com. Enter the promo code BASEBALL for 25% off your first order. Uh, well, we started a discussion about our Tout Wars mixed auction back on Monday's show. We took a look at DVR's roster. So DVR, we're going to turn the tables here, have you take a look at my roster. And as I just mentioned a little bit earlier in this uh, this episode, I did take the time to review my own team and write that up for Rotographs. So I'm sort of interested to see how your assessment maybe lines up with uh, with mine. Uh, we we talked about a little bit on Monday show how I went stars and scrubs had a lot of one dollar players, and we'll we'll kind of pick it up where you left that off because you made a comment that was to the effect of that you know beyond a certain point uh, a certain number of of one dollar players is is maybe too many. So I'm not sure if I crossed that line or not. 
I don't think in terms of quantity, you necessarily cross that line. I think what it comes down to is as you kind of look at what you're able to put together, did you get enough stolen bases? Like that's the one thing that I, as I look at your offense, I, you got Pete Alonso, Juan Soto, Joey Gallo, Javier Baez runs a little bit. Yuli Gurriel, uh, Danny Santana should get you some bags. Scott Kingery there at six bucks. I don't know if if you are going to be strong in that category. Maybe you'll be ample. Maybe you'll get four or five points and maybe you'll find bags on the waiver wire. Maybe you'll find them via trade. But that was the first thing that kind of stood out to me as I looked at your team is that you've got a lot of power. You've got a lot of hitters I actually like, but you have one category in particular where I would be concerned that you might be falling short. Well, I became aware of this after I got Joey Gallo as the 49th player nominated. So, you know, pretty early in, but at that point, I already had four players, and that was part of my my strategy, was to be very aggressive early on. So before the 50th player was nominated, uh, I had Alonzo, JT Realmuto, Juan Soto, and, and Gallo. I had those four players. And uh, yeah, and the big base stealer among them might be Realmuto. So... Um, yeah, that, that struck me as a big problem. I had maybe a, a, a little twinge of, of buyer's remorse with getting Gallo at uh, $28, and I talk about that a bit in my uh, recap. But So it's no accident that the next player that I won with a bid was Javier Baez, uh, because I thought, okay, I, I'm going to have to make this up now. And I, was, I really kind of created an overdetermined situation for myself, because I was really pretty set on not going after an Adalberto Mondesi, certainly not going after somebody like a Malik Smith, who's truly one dimensional, but, you know, even somebody like, like a Mondesi who, um, you know, that's the main thing they bring to the table. I was really hoping maybe I could get Bo Bichette, but couldn't keep up with the bidding there. And so I basically was left with, with no choice, but to go after a handful of 15 to 20 steel guys uh, some of whom you mentioned, Danny Santana, Scott Kingery. I mean, those were players I was just sitting on for a long time, uh, figuring they were in my price range with the amount of money I had left. They would allow me to chip in with steals. And that was basically the best I was going to be able to do. I think it, it can work that way. I mean, if you're strong everywhere else and you're just ample in a category, then that's enough in many cases. It's not a full-on punt like the way some people punt speed or I should mm-hmm. say punt saves rather and just have no closers, and they have really no chance of doing anything in the category. So I do think you've at least got a, a base of some kind there. I think as I look at your pitching staff, you know, looking from the earlier buys, Charlie Morton at 19, Tyler Glasnow at 25, Nick Anderson at 11. Anderson's the one guy that people are, are definitely moving up draft boards, moving up in terms of auction prices, and I felt like 11 was actually kind of a reasonable price for him compared to what other closers cost in this auction. Um, how did you feel about that buy in particular, just given some of the uncertainty that we've talked about in this show uh, with how the Rays handle save opportunities? I felt like it was reasonable. I I probably wouldn't have gone to 13 if I had to, uh, just for that reason, because I, I think he'll be the primary guy there. And again, with the shortened season, um, that might make it an even dicier option if it's being split several ways. With And with the Rays, I fully expect that that's going to be the case. I think it's hard to go much above 11. But yeah, given the price of the safer closers that were going before there, I felt really good about getting him at 11. The biggest blunder, in my opinion, (laughs) that I made in this auction had to do 
with my getting my second reliever. Um, I did get Mark Melanson for $6. I was pretty happy with that. I had an opportunity to, to bid six on Jose Leclerc, who I was, again, somebody I was just waiting on, figured he'd be undervalued, liked him a lot better than some of the closers that were going for, you know, in the teens. And I don't DVR. I, I will say I had, I'm not going to like blame the technology here. I had a couple of moments where I had slow responses when I was bidding and then I would click and click and basically jam up my draft room. And that happened on two players. I wanted really badly you Darvish and Jose Leclerc. Mm. <laughs> um, and having had that already happen with Darvish, I sort of froze with Leclerc and I probably could have gotten that extra click in, uh, but I missed out on him. So uh, Melanson was a bit of a, uh, of a uh, consolation prize for me, but I, one of my favorite moves that I made in the whole draft and then in the reserve rounds was getting Seth Lugo in the, the second round of the reserve round draft because I don't have a lot of faith in Edwin Diaz. And as far as closers and waiting go, Lugo is my favorite one. I think he's somebody, if he gets the job, he can keep it and be a top five or top 10 closer. Yeah, Lugo has all the skills to be elite if the opportunity comes along. I've been pretty consistently surprised by Edwin Diaz in March, especially the more recent auctions and drafts. Like he's getting drafted as though last year happened, but it wasn't as bad as it really was. And that's kind of a surprise. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Zimmerman got a pretty good price on him on Saturday, $12 in the mixed tout auction. But I've seen rooms where he gets pushed up as like a top five closer. And that seems a little bit aggressive. So uh, even if um, you believe in Diaz, Lugo still has some value as kind of a $1 endgame staff filler type in a lot of leagues, too. Like he's good enough to go ahead and take that ninth starting or that ninth pitcher spot in your active lineup uh, in a week where maybe you don't have uh, a viable starting option to fill it. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you know, I'm uh, pretty happy with the, the, the way that the uh, closers did happen to work out. And, um, you know, even with a little bit of a snafu there on, on Leclerc, but, um, yeah, that's, uh, you know, overall, one of the things I liked better about uh, how this went for me of your $1 players. Is there any that you felt like you were really happy to get at the time, or you've become happier about having them now that you look back on it? I mean, the one that stands out to me is Cameron Maben for a dollar. He was a a subject to one of our pods Mm -hmm. a couple of weeks ago and playing time should be there in Detroit. Showed a little more power last year. Still has some speed as well, and and really everything kind of just fell into place. Like he, he seems like a really interesting end game consideration, especially in a league this size. Yeah, I was very happy to get him of the nine one dollar players, and I'm including David Peralta, who I got for two, because at that point I was I was down to ten dollars for nine spots. So I'm considering them all really dollar day players. Of those nine, seven were players who I have specifically in one place or another um, touted as as a uh, an, an, an endgame bargain. So Maben was certainly one of them. David Peralta, who was my one $2 player, is one of them. I think I'm actually most proud of the two players that I didn't have on my radar as endgame targets because I, you know, I, I want to strike a balance between getting quote unquote my guys, but also like getting players that I wasn't expecting to draft at all, you know, and basically being paying enough attention that I'm finding bargains where I don't expect them. So I'm actually most proud of getting um, uh, Shogo Akiyama for a dollar. 
Uh, and again, given my steals problem, he might be able to chip in a little bit. And Francisco Mejia, who I just got because I missed catcher after catcher after catcher as my, my number two guy. And he was the best one who was left over. And subsequent to to the auction, you know, I looked at his numbers and he had a really nice second half. And if I'd maybe paid more attention to that, he's somebody I might have tried to get on purpose. Yeah, I remember writing him up for ads and drops probably, I don't know, in August or so. Uh, playing time was shifting there a little bit. There was a, an uptick in offensive performance. I think the tricky thing is just figuring out how much the Padres are willing to play him over Austin Hedges, who is an elite defender. Like Austin Hedges is like a younger Jeff Mathis in some ways, where he handles the staff so well and uh, brings up the value of the pitching so much that you have to sort of make that tough call if you're San Diego. Like, who do you lean on there? But I think a 60 40 or 65 35 split favoring Mejia is definitely a possibility. And it could even go the other way in a two catcher league at a dollar, and you could be fine. I mean, Mejia. Mm-hmm. The, the best thing he does is hit like the defense behind the plate is still a work in progress. So for a dollar, I thought that was a, a steal in a league where you got to start two catchers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I hope, hope that one works out, but you know, you raise a good point in terms of the uh, un- uncertainty of how the playing time is going to split there. So on that note, let's move on to our featured read of the day. This one's from MLB.com and their uh, team of prospect analysts, Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo, and Mike Rosenbaum. The piece is one prospect on each team who impressed in spring training. Uh, so some good finds there. And also um, something I did today, because I've got a little bit of extra time on my hands to look at this kind of stuff. I went through each of the team sites and checked out every team site has a spring training takeaway column. So if you've got the time to do that, um, check it out. There's some really interesting things there. Uh, maybe a few things that you might have even missed uh, during spring training. So a few good things there from uh, MLB.com to check out. And that's going to wrap things up for today's episode of Fantasy Baseball in 15. If you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, you can get 40% off a subscription at theathletic.com slash baseball in 15. Everything that we do is a part of your subscription. If you're enjoying this podcast on a platform that allows you to leave a rating and a review, we would greatly appreciate it if you did take the time to do those. So for Derek Van Riper, I'm Al Melker, and we will be back here on Thursday. Thursday.